Let's pray. Life is short. It's incredibly short. That makes every opportunity we have to praise you important. That makes every opportunity we have to follow you that much more important. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to follow. Give us the wisdom, courage, opportunity, and creativity to do so. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We all have that one person who talks you into things, right? You guys have that friend? What kinds of things? <clears throat> well, I'm sure that you're thinking about those things right now. It could be as simple as getting together, hanging out, like when you know you have work to do. Uh, it could be to go shopping, or it could be uh, some, for some more nefarious reasons. Or dare I say, uh, they might be somebody who has a good influence on you. Somebody that can stretch you and grow you. Like somebody who's into pickleball. I got to thinking, what if I were that person who talks people into things? How often am I influenced and how often am I influencing? Sometimes my wife Leah calls me a marketer's dream. And I guess it depends on the situation, but I'm easily swayed by uh, really good marketing campaigns. <clears throat> But when it comes down to like influencing inf and, and, and being influenced, it really depends upon who we're with, doesn't it? Sometimes we're the influencer, sometimes we're the influencee. And so I also got to thinking, this is not a new idea. In most of pop culture, there's a lead and a sidekick. We see this trope all the time. The one who jumps in first no matter what the odds, and the one who's steady trying to talk them down from it. Yep, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to think for very long to see some of these pairs in your mind. And depending upon when you grew up, you might have some different dynamic duos in your mind right now on that mental screen of yours. So we're going to do a little thought experiment here. It's a little thumbs up, thumbs down. And... <clears throat> I'm going to give you a pairing, and if you know who they are, I want thumbs up nice and high. If you don't know who they are, don't put your thumbs up. Just keep them down. I'm going to go through a list. Here we go. Lucy and Ricky. Notice who's not raising their hands. <laughs> Abbott and Costello. Batman and Robin. See, they're, they're like 85 years old. They're, they're, Batman's pretty old. R2-D2 and C-3PO. Doc and Marty. I was hoping you guys would. <laughs> Wayne and Garth. Oh, we're starting to wane. Mario and Luigi. Let's bring it back. Frodo and Sam. Shrek and Donkey. And all of the Goonies. Because Goonies never say die. Now that we have sufficiently shown each other how much we have to learn about each other, let's dive in this morning and measure the difference between what is a thermostat and what is a thermometer. So just so we have this straight, 
Thermostats are devices that regulate the temperature in an environment. And thermometers are devices that read and reflect the temperature in an environment. What was that? As we get into the word this morning, I want you to keep these images in mind because we're not going to come back to them until the finale. Fair enough? Let's pray. We're going to talk a lot of this morning about leading and following and what does it look like. Differences between thermostats and thermometers. What does it mean to put the Lord to the test? Guide us this morning as we dive into your word. Amen. All right, so if you have your scriptures, we are going to be in 1 Samuel 14. We're going to emphasize verses 1 through 14. And this is one of my absolute favorite stories in the entire Bible. Because it's amazing and at the same time completely ridiculous. And you'll see why here in a minute. So verse <clears throat> 1 one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. It's a lot of people in a cave. Really, the, the word that they really are trying to mean there is he's underneath a, like a grove of trees. <clears throat> I don't know why the ESV put cave there, but they did. Uh, the, the, they were about 600, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know Jonathan was gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the side in the, or in the south of Gibeah. So real quick, some observations from this first part. <clears throat> Where it says one day... In other translations, it's worded differently. One, in particular, says it this way. Now it happened one day. This is written in such a way that the writers are letting us know that there was no remarkableness about this day. <clears throat> there was no special, this wasn't during a feast, it wasn't during, it wasn't during anything. It was just a regular old day. But it was about to become remarkable very fast. And we are also introduced to the two main characters, as it were, Jonathan and the armor bearer, the hero and the sidekick. I would argue, actually, that I'm more impressed with the armor bearer in this story than I am with Jonathan, and you'll see why. Notice how we do not learn the armor bearer's name. But we are made well aware who Jonathan was, that long description. The armor bearer is chiefly tasked with carrying weapons and armor 
for the officer that they're with. And they also help out with the administration of what happens in the army during battles and things like that. They are often characterized as being super loyal and unusually brave, considering that they're not just carrying someone's armor, but they're also tasked with fighting. So here comes the proposal. Jonathan says, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. And I can imagine, if I were the armor bearer, looking at him and going, us and what army? <laughs> like, what do you mean we're going to go over there? And here's the reason why. They had been in a long-standing conflict, which they were getting pummeled. Right? So there was no good reason for them to provoke anything. And we're at this place where it's just like Jonathan must be outside of his mind. But this is what makes what happens next that much more fantastical. So did I mention that he didn't tell his father, the king, what his plans were? King Saul was licking his wounds from a couple of sound beatings and was in full retreat mode, sitting under some pomegranate trees. Saul was outnumbered, he was outgunned, and he surely would not have put up with such nonsense had Jonathan brought it to him. So contrast for a moment Saul, who is sitting, and Jonathan, who is standing. Thermostats and thermometers. We also see the pathway is nothing short of treacherous. Crags on every side. We get a very detailed picture where they were and, what, and where they were headed. So it's much like that goat pass in the Battle of Thermopylae, right? Where the brave 300 took on scores and scores of people. And so Jonathan's boldness, as you think about his approach... Might not be too crazy, right? We're going to take them on in a place that would favor our small number versus their large number. And so we continue in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord by saving, or from saving by many or few. And his armor bearer said to him, this is what I love, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul, Mr. Frodo. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you. Then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be a sign to us. Now this is the part of the sermon where the montage music kicks in. I wish I had Keith up here, it would be great. <clears throat> Jonathan hatches his plan, his really well-thought-out plan, his foolproof plan that's built on maybe. 
I love this. Maybe. You guys catch the maybe? How many of us make any magnitude of plans when there's maybe a chance that it works? Most of us, if we are honest, don't get in the boat, let alone to get out of the boat in order to walk on water. But these two hinge their lives on maybe. So as much as Jonathan might be influenced by some stories in the past, like this guy, in, this guy named Shamgar. Everybody say Shamgar. Shamgar. All right, Shamgar was this guy in Judges 3. You know what he did? He took on 600 Philistines with nothing but a sharp stick. Right? So these delusions of grandeur, they could be dancing around in Jonathan's head. And, and it doesn't get any more Leroy Jenkins than that. Or maybe God actually might have inspired him. We'll see. But like I said, it's the armor bearer who says and does what impresses me more. So let's read verse 7 again. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. This vote of confidence must have only emboldened Jonathan further. How many of you have had that friend who reassures you when you're not sure? Verse 8, however, it's almost as if the record goes, Rrah! there are now some conditions being set in. It's like we're charging full speed ahead, and then all of a sudden, well, let's think about this. He says, let's test and see if there's something, if this is something we should actually should do. And so I wonder, is Jonathan getting cold feet now? He's like, come on, hey, let's go over there and see if we can pick a fight. And then as you start getting ready for it, you go, hmm, well, I'm not quite sure if we should, should we wait till Tuesday? Uh, <laughs> Have you ever been so inspired to do something that you're full speed ahead? And then as you're barreling around at 1,000 miles an hour, you think to yourself, maybe I should wear my seatbelt. Maybe I should take a second to think about this. And I know we've been there. Because it goes like this. Okay, if she sits next to me in gym class and looks over and laughs at my jokes then, Lord, I will know you want me to ask her to prom. And I will know that you have delivered her into my hands, and we shall dance. Or it could be one of those things where you're like, you know, I've been at this company for X amount of years, and it's time for a promotion. I'm going to talk to my boss about this promotion. And then you get to the water cooler, and you go, hey, Jim, how's the weather? It's nice out, isn't it? You go from being filled with bravado to talking about when the next cake in the break room is. So nevertheless, it seems like he's pumping the brakes. But he's not stopping. Catch that. He's not stopping. His father might have stopped. Actually, it seems like he has stopped. 
because of his position underneath those pomegranate trees. But Jonathan and the armor bearer surely aren't. There's still something left in the tank, no matter what the odds, and they're going to do something about it. So the proposal was made, the plan was laid out, and now we have the presentation. Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, or garrison of the Philistines, garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, you have to imagine they're laughing, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Sounds like a challenge. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And a battle ensues. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. So there's proof that he, the armor bearer is also part of the conflict. And at that first strike, Jonathan and his armor bearer made, they killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. This is the verse that I didn't include, but it's important. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders. We're not talking John Madden's raiders. We're talking people who are a little bit more on the edge than the garrison. Trembled. The earth quaked. And it became a great panic. So it seems like this bright idea that they had turned into something a little bit bigger than maybe even they expected. It's completely plausible that these guys thought that Jonathan and the armor bearer were deserters. Having given up and turning themselves in so they might be spared from additional conflict. Upon showing themselves... They are immediately mocked. Philistines were total trash talkers. Like if you had friends who were fans of Cleveland. Total trash talkers. And they turned this into a challenge. And I can almost imagine that our boys, upon hearing this, turn to one another and smirk. <laughs> like, okay, it's on. And so when the smoke cleared, I'm sorry, um, it is indicated from the text that Jonathan and his armor bearer make a serious enough climb that they have to use both hands and feet. So this is going to be an exhausting trip up this crag. Something else to notice as they're climbing, who climbs first? Jonathan climbs first. How many times, or... If we were in this position, how many of us would make the armor bearer climb first? But Jonathan doesn't do that. He climbs first. So when the smoke is cleared and the field is cleared, 
the text is very clear to let us know that the first strike meant there was more to come. And even more fantastical, there was a shockwave of panic that went throughout the camp. So much so that it went from the garrison to the raiders, the people who you definitely don't want to meet. And then the minor detail of the earthquake. Who do you think had something to do with that? Wasn't Jonathan. So some bright idea, huh? So what can we do with this? We're going to go out and pick fights? I don't think so. How is this something that can impact our understanding about God and the world we live in? I think that it's as simple as looking once again at our thermostat and thermometer comparison. It's pretty clear that Jonathan is someone who we might consider to be a thermostat. Someone who has the pulse of the situation and is trying to move things forward. But I would argue that it's not just the person who acts big with big gestures that gets the recognition. But the one who is not named, who is there all the same, who gives the vote of confidence and pledges allegiance to the cause and ensure the battle is won. We are often smitten by the person who is up front. But in reality, so many times that person is actually the thermometer reflecting back in an upfront way the temperature that's being set behind the scenes by the thermostat. We are quick to like the easy hero. Perhaps we should also like the hidden hero, the sidekick. Ricky and Lucy. The other thing we need to realize is that while this story may seem like it's about these two, and their bravery, and what they have done, let me remind you one little thing. You know the earthquake from our seemingly silent partner who has been up to stuff all along. How many times, this is a question I want you to pose to yourself, how many times in our walking with God have we tried to get out ahead of him? almost daring him to come through on our maybes. Maybe if I get this raise, I'll start tithing more. Maybe if uh, I get some time off, I'll go serve and do this. Maybe if things slow down, then I will start reading my Bible again. Maybe. How many times have we forgotten that the Lord is the daring one, the warrior, the first into the fray, and our position should be like this, should be like the armor bearer. We should be saying to the Lord, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. 
Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. You know it's okay to be more like Donkey than Shrek, right? Because in all the battles that we will face in life, we aren't fighting alone. Because we climb up behind the Lord who leads. Let's pray. Lord, it's incredibly hard to follow sometimes. We get impatient when it feels like there's no action. We try to get out ahead of you. We try to usurp your role. We try to get in your way. We try to take the glory that is yours. Forgive us for the spaces where we make it about us and not about you. And that even though Jonathan and this armor bearer might appear a little bit crazy, maybe at the same time, that's the kind of faith that you're looking for. The maybe kind of faith. It can go either way. We could be reckless or we could be righteous. But you need to lead us as we climb. Amen.